Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our host, Steve Butler. On today's program, our series entitled, The Second Coming Versus the Rapture, as he opens God's Word to study the difference between the rapture and the second coming. It's time to explore Bible prophecy. Hello and welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy. Glad you could be with us again today. In this particular program today, we are continuing our series on the difference between the rapture of the church and the second coming of the church with Jesus Christ to the earth as his wife. So we go up in the rapture as his bride. We come back in the second coming as as his wife. And in between, as you might suspect, we get married. So there's a wonderful marriage in heaven of the church to our betrothed, our bridegroom, Jesus Christ. We have a wonderful seven-year period of time where we celebrate and we feast according to the scriptures, and then we come back with him as he comes back to judge the earth, and we are merely with him as part of that judgment. We don't participate in it, or at least let me say I can find no place in the scripture that says that we participate in any of the judging. But we will participate with him as uh, what I call co-regents for a thousand years, where it says uh, very clearly that the church will rule and reign with Jesus Christ on the earth. I see the church, according to the scriptures, as being uh, judges and officials, uh, administrators for the towns uh, and villages and cities across the world during the thousand-year millennial kingdom. So it's a wonderful time with a, the earth uh, renewed to a lot of its original glory, realizing that it's not eternity, but it is a, glor- a glorious time that creation has been waiting for, as it says in John, waiting for the revelation of the sons of God, uh, because the, the, the creation has been groaning as well. So uh, the Bible's such a wonderful thing, and that's why we spend so much of our time looking at Bible prophecy, because the the prophecy is, if God needed any proof that uh, his word is truth, it would be prophecy. But I'm saying if he needed it. God doesn't need anything. I mean, he is the creator. We are the creation. But for a skeptical person, and God knows that the humans are going to be skeptical because he gave them choice, he gave them uh, free will, and he knows that uh, many, many will be uh, skeptical to a great degree. So he gives us this wonderful body of work in the Bible, which is called Bible prophecy, uh, or uh, study of uh, end times, even though prophecy goes way back, fulfilled prophecy goes way back into the Old Testament. And I would um, say that it's about a third of the Bible. So we know that prophecy is important because prophecy encourages us. It leads us to, uh, to Jesus Christ and to know what is going to happen as a human being to us in the future uh, when, when God lays it all out for us, when we can see what happens, it encourages us and it actually leads us to a faith in Jesus Christ. I, I really believe that. So that's why uh, studying prophecy is such a passion for me. So we are in point number five in our handout, and if you're joining us perhaps for the first time today, or if you've been with us for a very short time and haven't had the opportunity to go to 
this wonderful radio station, WHCB, and go to their website, whcbradio.org, and then look for Exploring Bible Prophecy. They have graciously um, allowed this um, series to be printed here, as well as all uh, of our series that we cover on Exploring Bible Prophecy, uh, and get a copy of it so that you can see the many, many scriptures that we use to support our points that are being made here to show the difference between, in this case, this series, the difference between the rapture and the second coming of Christ. So we're in point number five under the rapture uh, column. And when we uh, finish up this point number five, we'll move over to the right to see the second coming aspect, the differences between uh, the rapture and the second coming on this particular point of who sees Jesus at the rapture and who sees Jesus at his second coming. And we have uh, shown through the scriptures over the last several programs here at point number five that Jesus not only uh, will only be seen by the believers at the rapture, but he is only seen by believers when he comes back in his glorified body immediately following his uh, glorious resurrection from the grave uh, during that Passion Week back in 32 AD. And we've shown that by looking at basically Matthew and passages in Luke and passages in John, as well as um, 1 Corinthians. And let's go ahead and get into our Bible and let's pick up where we left off in our last program at point number five, and that's in John the book of John chapter 20. So if you would uh, open your Bibles, and I, I pray that you are using your Bible to follow along with us here because there is a world of difference between listening to someone tell you about the Bible and reading the Bible for yourself. And then even greater than reading the Bible for yourself is studying the Bible for yourself because there are people that have read the book, uh, the Bible, numerous times and still have basic misunderstandings and basic questions about the Bible simply because they don't take the time to slow down and study it. And that's what we try to do here at Exploring Bible Prophecy. At the beginning of uh, each of our major series that lasts for more than uh, you know, a couple of weeks, uh, I try to make it a point to spend um, the first lesson, the first program or so, going over how to study your Bible, because it's so important to know, uh, to look at context, to ask the who, what, where, when, why, and how. And because of that, you'll have what are called, I've, I've personally experienced it with people, the aha moments when you realize that a passage of Scripture that your Aunt Ethel or your Uncle Bob told you, here's what it means, and then you let the Holy Spirit teach you through study what it really means, and you go, that's it. Aha. So that's a, that's a wonderful experience. It may sound silly and, and trite at this point, maybe hearing it for the first time, but I can tell you that if you allow the Holy Spirit to lead you into a study of His Word, you will have the aha moments, and you will see things through the leading of the Holy Spirit that you never saw before or you may have read them but never understood them. And that's what we've been talking about here in point number five uh, in the early uh, programs in this section about how through the leading of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling and the teaching of the Holy Spirit, 
you have spiritual eyes and spiritual ears that an unbeliever does not have. You are able to see and discern and to hear and uh, more deeply understand the Word of God, the intention, the meaning of God in these scriptures uh, that makes it so much more than just an academic work. So we're in John chapter 20, and we uh, last program uh, read 26 through uh, through 29, and it's a uh, passage where they're talking about Jesus coming into a locked room again with the apostles, and the reason for coming in, or at least the primary reason according to this passage for coming in this second time is because the first time Thomas, good old doubting Thomas, wasn't there. So by way of looking at uh, context and developing this uh, particular passage a little more deeply and, and thoroughly, um, instead of starting at 26, let's back up to verse 24. So if you're in your Bible, uh, John, which is the last of the four Gospels at the beginning of the New Testament, and right towards the end of the book of John, and if you get to Acts, you've gone, you've gone too far back up just a little bit. And we're in John chapter 20, and let's look at verse 24 here. And it says, but Thomas, one of the twelve, so therefore one of the uh, apostles, also called Didymus, or the twin, that's what it means in the Hebrew, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples, verse 25, were saying to him, saying to Thomas, we have seen the Lord. And there's the key phrase. We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Thomas said to them, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So again, as we spent some time talking about in our last program. Who are these men? These are the 12 apostles, particularly now because Thomas is among them. These are the 12 apostles. These are the men who gave up their livelihoods to follow Jesus, to be fishers of men. And they've seen the miracles. They've seen all the different things. But just as importantly, they've heard him share the the mysteries of the kingdom with them and to give them the answers and to tell them that because the people of Israel have turned their backs on me as King Jesus, I have come as their king, as their promised Messiah king to set up the kingdom just as it had been promised over and over again in the Old Testament. I've come and they've denied me. They will not accept me. They will not see me as the king. They, they will not believe me. So therefore, I'm a covenant-keeping God because I'm Jesus. I'm God. I'm a covenant-keeping God. I will, not make, I will not break the promise of the kingdom, but I will put it on hold. So he is putting the kingdom on hold, and we know that that has yet to be fulfilled after 2,000 years. And we know that there has to be a tribulation of seven years before the kingdom is actually set up. So that is a yet future event. And we know the rapture happens, has to happen before the tribulation. Uh, I pray that it's not, uh, not too far distant future, but it's something that has yet to be uh, set up. So he has um, postponed the offer of the kingdom to Israel and has turned 
his back temporarily. And the scripture says that he's turned his face away from Israel and turned his face towards those who weren't originally seeking him, meaning the future church and they being represented by the apostles here. But it's the apostles who are not understanding Jesus. It's particularly Thomas who is not understanding that this man standing in front of them when he sees him is the risen Jesus. I'm not even going to believe it if I see him. I've got to touch him. I've got to put my fingers in those indentations, those holes made by the sword and made by those terrible nails on the cross. And if he's struggling with it, what about you? So if you're struggling with your faith in any way, know that they did too and know that their outcome was glorious and your outcome will be glorious if you simply believe. You don't have to see the risen Christ today to believe in him because that's not faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God from Hebrews 11. We are through the scriptures, through the study of the scriptures, and in these particular passages right here, for instance, in John, we're letting the apostles struggle for us. And the whole point of going through this with you, uh, particularly in point five, is to show that they didn't believe him and that he did not show himself except to those who believed him. And when they saw him in his glorified body, they put their fingers in his side and in his hands and saw his feet, and then they believed. So we see that with Thomas here. So if, if they're struggling and they were the apostles, then you can struggle too. But don't struggle to the point of frustration. Believe what the apostles saw. Believe what the apostles believed. Because you can believe in faith, and that's what glorifies God is your faith in him and that he will richly bless you in the rapture of the church when we see him face to face, and he blesses us and rewards us for our work here on the earth after we believed in him. So we continue on here. We ended verse 25 with with, um, Thomas saying, I will not believe until I can touch him. And then in verse 26, after eight days, his apostles were again inside And Thomas with them, and Jesus came, the doors having been locked, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands, and reach here with your hand and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. What a major point right there that he had to see and he had to touch to believe, but he did believe. And because he did that, and it's in God's word, and therefore it's truth, then you can believe, even though you haven't put your finger in his hands and you haven't put your hand in his side, and that you haven't seen him and you haven't watched him eat a piece of fish as we see in other scriptures, you can still believe Verse 29, Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Let me repeat that. Because you have seen me, have you believed? And look at the rest of that. Blessed are they, and you can put your name right there, or you. Blessed are you who did not see and yet believed. 
one of the richest verses in the whole Bible. Blessed are, blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. I just almost get choked up just thinking about that, how wonderful that is, that we can let them struggle for us and that we can fortify, we can come to faith or we can fortify our faith through letting them struggle for us instead of our struggling with it ourselves. So let's um, move on for this particular passage. This is another of what are called the manifestations of Christ or the revealing of Christ to these people. God, uh, Jesus was allowing himself to be seen only by believers because, you know, the death, burial, and resurrection was in and of itself a miracle. And the purpose of miracles at the time of Christ that was that were done by Christ, that were done by the apostles, were done to attract the attention of people to the gospel. It wasn't the miracle itself. It was just a tool, if you will, a means. The purpose of it was to get them to stop and listen to the gospel message by the one who did the the um, the miracle and attaching the truth of the, the potential truth of the gospel to the fact that they were doing miracles. It, they perceived there was a connection there that caused them to want to listen. So we, uh, we see that here. And now we want to move on to another manifestation of Christ. And if you look on your handout at um, number five, and we're looking at John, and we're looking at chapter 21, John chapter 21, we now want to answer a question from a listener, so we'll pick up the series uh, here in, in uh, section number five on our handout, The Difference Between the Rapture of the Church and uh, in John 21 next time. But we have a question from a listener in gray, and the question is, is the time of Jacob's trouble the same thing as the seven-year tribulation? Is the time of Jacob's trouble the same thing as the seven-year tribulation? Hmm. The, you know, the, the basic answer to that is yes and no. <laughs> the answer is yes and no. So let me explain what I mean by that. The passage is found in the book of Jeremiah. So let's go ahead and go to Jeremiah to set, that, um, set up that point. So if you go... Oh, about the middle of your Bible, you'll find, if you've gone a little too far to the, to the left, you'll find um, the, the Psalms and Proverbs. Keep going to the right, and you'll see Isaiah, big book of Isaiah with 66 chapters. And then you get the Jeremiah. And if you go to Lamentations or Ezekiel, you've gone too far. So you want to find Jeremiah, and when you get to Jeremiah, you want to go to chapter 30. Jeremiah chapter 30. And in Jeremiah chapter 30, you want to go to verse 7. And it says in Jeremiah 30, verse 7, Alas, for that day is great. There is none like it. And it is the time of Jacob's distress. And he, but he will be saved from it. So we're talking about a time of Jacob's distress. And who is Jacob? When you see the term Jacob, it means the 12 tribes. And right now, um, we do not have the 12 tribes back together. Uh, we know that the first, the 10 tribes were dispersed in 722 B.C. by the Assyrians, and we know that uh, many of the Jews were dispersed with the Babylonian captivity that um, 
finished in 586 B.C., so we've got the Jews scattered all over the world at that point, and those that came back after the Babylonian captivity to Jerusalem were dispersed again in 70 A.D., so the Jews are scattered all over the world. So here it's talking about Jacob, meaning bringing them all back together again, and then it says Jacob will be saved from it. So the Israelites will be distressed, but they will not be totally done away with. So it says, um, teaches that Israel, this particular passage teaches that Israel will benefit from a peace agreement or a covenant confirmed by the Antichrist at the beginning of the tribulation. So making the point that the time of Jacob's trouble is not the whole seven-year tribulation, even though there are um, theologians that say that it covers the whole seven-year period. And I wouldn't necessarily argue with them on the major points because there is wrath, and that's what the tribulation's about. The people on the earth, after the church is removed at the rapture, the people on the earth will experience wrath for the entire seven years. So if you want to call that the time of Jacob's trouble, uh, you know, I'm not going to jump up and down about it, but the Bible particularly teaches that the time of Jacob's trouble is the second half. And that truth is found in Daniel. So we're in Jeremiah. So if you go to the right, you'll get Jeremiah's little book of Lamentations. Then you go to Ezekiel, and then you go to Daniel. And Daniel chapter 9, and if you go to Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, it reads, And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. So this is that 70th week of Daniel, the tribulation period of seven years. And it says he, and that's the Antichrist, will make a covenant with the many, with Israel, uh, and he will break it in the middle of the week. So, this covenant that he makes with Israel is basically a protection of Israel, keeping them from experiencing a lot of the wrath that's going on in the world at that time for the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. And then at the midpoint, it's broken. And at that point, Israel is then exposed to the full wrath of God for the next three and a half years, or what's called the second half of the tribulation. So, at that point, those are the bold judgments, and that's called the full wrath of God. Because really, what the, what's this whole thing about in the tribulation? It's to bring Israel primarily to a saving knowledge of their Messiah so that he can come back and set up his kingdom here on the earth. And at the, by the midpoint, Israel, under the protection of that Antichrist covenant, other pl- and in Isaiah it calls it a covenant with hell, they believe the Antichrist is their Messiah, and they actually invite him into the temple that these unbelieving Jews, when I say unbelieving, they don't believe in Jesus. These unbelieving Jews have built this temple in Jerusalem, and they invite the Antichrist in, thinking that he's the Christ. And that Antichrist goes in at the midpoint and declares himself God. And at that point, he breaks the covenant, kicks the Jews out of the temple, stops the sacrifices, and Israel is exposed at that point because this is clearly a terrible, if not the worst case of unbelief um, and doing it right in the face of God that he turns his full wrath against Jehovah God for um, his whole wrath of Jehovah God against Israel 
for the next three and a half years. So we're, we're told that this time is a time that's uh, like no other during the, the uh, history of Israel up until the time that it happens. So it's going to be the uh, what's called the Great Tribulation. And one of the, the great prophecies in the Old Testament that tells us all about this is actually found all the way back in Deuteronomy, all the way back, the last book that Moses uh, gave us of the five books uh, that begin the, uh, the Bible for us, and that's in Deuteronomy chapter 4. So if you could go in your Bibles to the, you go to Genesis and go into the Bible, four more books, you'll get to Deuteronomy, and go to Deuteronomy chapter 4, and let's look at verses 26 to 31. And just, uh, we'll, we'll wrap this discussion up here to show you the, um, the love of God for his people Israel. Deuteronomy 4.26, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will surely perish quickly from the land where you are going over the Jordan to possess. You shall not live long on it, but will be utterly destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord drives you. There you will serve gods, the work of man's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But, verse 29, but from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search for him with all your heart and with all your soul. Verse 30, when you are in distress, remember what Jeremiah 30 verse 7 said, the time of Jacob's distress, verse 30 of Deuteronomy 4, when you are in distress and all these things have come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and listen to his voice. For the Lord your God is a compassionate God. He will not fail you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant with your fathers which he swore to them. So we see this wonderful, wonderful message that this is Moses talking to the Israelites. And what's really amazing here is this is where they are finishing up their 40 years in the wilderness. That was 35, 3,400 years ago, coming out of Egypt in the wilderness for 40 years. They're getting ready to go into the promised land, being led by Joshua. And here's Moses telling them their entire future all the way out to the end of the tribulation period and really into the millennial kingdom for that matter because it tells them that you will be you will be unfaithful i will scatter you across the world but i will bring you back and when i bring you back i will be your compassionate god and i will not fail you i won't destroy you and i won't forget the covenants that i made with your fathers what a wonderful time, but they have to go through a terrible time called Jacob's trouble or Jacob's distress, which is the second half of the seven-year tribulation. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on today's Exploring Bible Prophecy. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.